Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. All right, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for an extraordinary journey as we introduce former and retired NBA player turned media mogul Matt Barnes. From the courts of UCLA to the Lakers and LA Clippers, Barnes left an incredible mark on LA's basketball scene, but his story goes far beyond the game. Facing challenges, reality TV, and a roller coaster of relationships, Barnes has emerged as a resilient leader. He's a devoted father and experienced a transformative shift, inspiring him to advocate for change and challenge racism. Now as a co-host of the widely popular All The Smoke podcast, Barnes captivates listeners with his interviews of sports and cultural icons. Explore the path from on-court stardom to media personality, entrepreneur, and advocate for cannabis reform. Get ready to dive into the exhilarating life of Matt Barnes where LA experiences, deep connections, and upcoming ventures promise never a dull moment. Matt, hey, that's, can you tell hey, Kristen that's, really hey, likes Matt? That's <laughs> serious. I mean, I feel special after that intro. I, I will say this is the most excited I've been for an interview. Oh, I am a Bay Area girl. Okay, yeah. I went to one of your 2007... You went to the We Believe game. Yes. Oh, I actually had a flashback. I was listening to one of your podcasts today with Lil Wayne, actually. Uh-huh. I was like, this is sick. I actually had my softball team in high school, the senior in high school at the time. Uh-huh. We made We Believe shirts. Oh, really? Yeah. I was going to say, we were all in it. And you yeah. were like, Matt, marry no, me. I actually, you know, you know what's CTI funny that about that is <laughs> that I, was fun. I got a chance to go back and win a championship in 2017. That The team you're talking about was 2006 and 7. And more people talked to me about that team mm-hmm. than playing with Steph and KD and yeah. Clay and winning a championship. Like that, that team like left the imprint on that city's heart like Hundreds. forever. There was magic. Yeah. That that was, was an dope. era for sure. What was, was that dope. like? What what were the fans like? The, the, the fans city? were unbelievable, you know, because I mean, you're from the Bay, so you know, and I'm from San Jose, Sacramento, so kind of the Bay. Very passionate, very intelligent, very diehard. Whether you're good or bad, they're down for you. And yeah. the Warriors had been terrible for maybe the 16 previous seasons, and we finally kind of broke the curse. And when I tell you once we got to the playoffs, it was the most incredible Fan base experience. I still get chills talking about to this day. I mean, it was loud. It was Oracle was filled with weed smoke. It was yeah. Just, yeah. It was, the Bay Area is different. Yeah, <laughs> Bay Area is just different. You know, the, the, the Bay Area is like a whole other world. I tell people, but that experience with the fans and, and and even to this day when I go back and do stuff, it's just that the We Believe team is the team they speak to. So mm-hmm. uh, it was a very cool experience. It's a- Talk to me because I'm from the Bay and I'm actually from San Jose, so okay. that's funny. Hey. And I lived in Palo Alto for two years. Yeah. Sunnyvale, yeah. actually. So, so you're guilty by association. You're guilty yeah. by association, yeah. but I, I didn't partake in any of the sports stuff. Well, now I have to because my sister's fiance uh, plays with the 49ers. So I'm already like, well, I know I can't like the Raiders, but that's like the all I know. You can only play in the Bay if you've done at least 100 fizz dances, for sure. <laughs> no. Yeah. Do you quali- know what that is? <laughs> there's, there's qualifications. Yeah. So what's the difference between the Bay and LA? Like the difference mm. of fans and people and people. lifestyle. Um, I've been in LA half my life. I'm from the Bay. It's just a different world. I mean, you know, it's 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 the people are more polite up north, and <laughs> really? it seems like they care a little bit more. It's a whole different energy. LA is more about look at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I wearing? It depends on if they feel like cheering tonight. You know, because mm-hmm. I played for the Lakers too. Some nights they were into it. Some nights they weren't. It was more of kind of a LA is more of a look at me, and I think the Bay is more of kind of who are you. Oh, I like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like, who I'm interested in getting to know you. 
And LA is kind of like, look at me because what you see may not be who I am, but you don't care about that. You only care about what I'm wearing and who I'm with. So I love both. You know, I I literally spent half my life in in both places, but definitely I'm more of a Northern California guy than a Southern California guy. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I'm in San Diego now. It's a little bit more relaxed than than LA. We're taking the family to San Diego this weekend. Oh, you are? Well, hit us up. We got kids too. Yeah. We got a little play day and margaritas. So I actually want to go back into your childhood and just kind of the beginning for people that don't know. You know, you don't need to give us your whole story, but you have been labeled kind of like this bad guy mm-hmm. of the NBA. You've yeah. been definitely misunderstood. So where do you think that came from? Do you um, think it, it's been or did it happen in the NBA? Well, I feel like reputations are earned whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. And I had to earn a reputation. I had to earn my spot in the NBA. I'm biracial, Italian and black. Grew up in San Jose. Parents were functioning drug addicts. So, mm-hmm. you know, back in the 80s, everybody did it. Mm-hmm. My parents were no different, but we never went without. We were always bathed, fed, had our work done. But just saw a lot. I saw drugs. I saw violence. I saw death. I saw a lot in an early age. So the one thing about it is my parents always try, even though I'm half Italian, like once we moved to Sacramento, my parents made it a point to put me in predominantly white schools. And I never understood why at the time, because I never went to school with the kids in my neighborhood. I always went to white schools. But now looking back on it, being older, I understood why. You know, they just wanted to give me the best opportunity. And the area I was in and the schools I was supposed to go to probably wouldn't have done that. So I learned how to talk and 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 read and and do all kinds of. It was crazy when I came from San Jose, the part of San Jose I was in, and I came to Sacramento initially. I came to Sacramento as a third grader, mm-hmm. but they put me back in kindergarten. Wow! So I'm like Billy Madison, some big ass kid you know, with yeah. a bunch of little kids <laughs> running around me. You know what I mean? Because I couldn't, I couldn't really read. I didn't really have yeah. the education I guess I needed to be at that time. So there was really just kind of a lot of catch up, and then I hit a lot of racism when I moved to Sacramento, but it was only at school. It wasn't, like I said, my neighborhood was very diverse, but I played, there was a majority of, you know, young white kids when I was growing up and, you know, nigger was flying around left and right. And it kind of broke my heart because for the first time at nine, I'm like, these kids don't even know me. How could they don't like me because I'm not the same color as them. So I didn't understand that. Where do you think that comes from do you think that comes from taught. there it's taught Parents, right yeah definitely taught it's definitely because I mean, how like, do you even know that word? just like love is yeah. taught you know yeah. love is taught hate is taught and unfortunately too much hate is taught but yeah. I, I, it, w- it was something that was just as a nine-year-old you're trying to get a grasp on life i'm in a whole new situation Ugh. i love to play outside i'm good at sports but they wouldn't let me play so and, do you feel like because is it your mom that's italian yeah. and your dad's black uh-huh. okay do, did you ever feel like you're too white to, for the black kids and too black for the white so kids. So I was never any, I was never white enough and I was never black enough. So mm-hmm. as a biracial kid at a young, obviously biracial is a lot more common these days, yeah. but you know, in the early mid eighties, it wasn't, I'm 43. So I never had a side to run to. So I would, you know, I would be disheartened and, and come home and tell my mom that the kids wouldn't play with me. And obviously she would do what a mom does. She loves and consoles me. And my dad's like, no, fuck that. Yeah. They call you me. You have my permission to fight him. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to get in trouble. So um, literally from there, third grade, anytime it happened, I was on them. And it got so bad to the point where, you know, I'm saying like, this is why I'm fighting. Uh, well, they wouldn't do nothing. So my mom actually came and had to work at my school when I was in elementary school. So she was there for all the the breaks. So we get a 20 minute break here. We get lunch and we get a 15 minute break. She was always there. And luckily, you know, I was able to fight my way to friendship which was unfortunate, but it just kind of how it was what it was. But once kids accepted me, you know, I was very good at football, baseball, basketball, and kind of through sports is where I made friendships. And even to this day, I have friends that I met in third or fourth grade that I'm very close with. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt that you're super tall. Like, I yeah. feel like yeah. you don't fuck with, like, the super tall For sure. kids. I, I have a arguably controversial questions coming from a white, blonde-haired girl. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, as a, a black man, that sports, you felt a pressure that I need to into this mold of being a good athlete in order to be accepted by white kids? That never crossed my mind because luckily, naturally, I was just good. So it wasn't like, well, what can I do for them to accept me? It was just like once they, because my whole thing started, they wouldn't let me play with them at recess. So I couldn't play kickball. I couldn't play dodgeball. I couldn't play basketball, football. Like they wouldn't let me play nothing. So once they kind of just allowed me to play, I just excelled in sports. So I kind of think through sports is how I made friendships. But it was never in my mind, like, well, maybe if I'm good at this, they will allow me to be Mm -hmm. in their circle. So that never really came to fruition. It was just kind of a, 
I guess, a trial and error thing until they, you know, allowed me in and, and allowed me to show my personality and, and my ability to play sports. It was kind of where I started making friends. And so you're nine years old, 10 years old, and you're in a new city. You've got functioning drug addict mm-hmm. parents. I, too, grew from a, mm-hmm. a broken home like that, went through mm-hmm. similar things. And like you said, every, I think everyone in the 80s did yep. drugs. Mm-hmm. And you've got kids who aren't accepting you, and you're a third grader in first or kindergarten. What's going through your mind as a child, like, you're a young, innocent child. Yeah. How did that affect you? There's no escape. You know what I mean? To begin with, when you, the embarrassment of thinking like, okay, I'm in third grade at a new school, and then, okay, well, when they when they first go to recess, I got to go back to this little, and I was literally like, I can laugh at it now. I'm like Billy Madison, like being yeah. a big-ass yeah. kid in this classroom <laughs> with a bunch of little kids around me. Well, you know, me. they make jail cells based on the literacy rates of third graders. Really? Yeah, that's wow. how they predict, like, how wow. much they're going to, because it's such a huge predictor. By the time you're in third grade, that's such, like, a, like a crucial year. Mm-hmm. If you're not already at that reading a- yeah. level, it's, I mean, the chances of the you uphill. catching up are very, yeah. very, very yeah. slow. So well, you already had the card stacked against yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as a nine-year-old, you just don't know what to, the, the, the one safe haven I always had is, like I said, I had a very diverse neighborhood. So there was Mexican kids, black kids, white kids. Um, we all played together. So that was kind of like my, okay, no school. Let's go home. And that's back when, you remember, we have to force our kids outside now. Like, yeah. get some I sun. Know, you know what I mean? Know. We didn't have electronics. And my dad was someone who said, if you put the Nintendo on the TV, it's going to mess up the color. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. So we were outside all day, every day. You know, so just playing outside was kind of my safe haven. Being in my neighborhood with my friends was my safe haven. So that's kind of where I just kind of, I guess, at the time, not knowing, that's where I kind of de- decompressed and, you know, sucked all that love and fun in and then had to kind of deal with the real world. Once yeah. I wasn't playing how, how was it for you going from this like you know pretty <clears throat> rough childhood in a lot of ways to like stardom? I mean, do you feel um, like you handle it well or? Well, I, I think I was not prepared for stardom, but I was prepared for adversity, and I feel like that's what stardom is—is is just a ton of mm. adversity. Like, how do you deal with adversity? You know, I was dealing with racism at an early age. My high school nearly got burned down by the KKK. You know, that's the project that Nate and I worked yeah. on. Wild. You know what I mean? So I had so much adversity and hate and uphill struggles and and mom dying from cancer and dad being like I just had so much stuff going on that you know once I finally made the NBA and 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 again I was labeled the bad boy because I I had to fight I had to really Mm -hmm. scratch and claw my way to make it so once I got there it was just like okay fame is different but it's it's just adversity and you know obviously I wasn't perfect along the way but just kind of trial and error and learning along the way but you know nothing can compare to the way I came up and, and, and the adversity and the hurdles I overcame. So I, I really just kind of took everything in stride once I made it. Yeah. It sounds like it, everything that you went through from the get prepared you for this. Yes. It created, you had to be, you had to be resilient. Yeah. It's kind of like a killer be killed when you have yeah. like a, yeah. not literally yeah, like I stopped caring what all you guys yeah. thought a long time yeah. ago. When people don't know your story, it's easy to judge. Yeah. It's easy to say, oh, this guy's got tattoos. He's got millions of dollars. Like he's, he's an thug, asshole. He's this. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that was, and, and literally that was my label until I got a chance to retire because you know I played from 2002 to 17 so social media kind of hit 11 12 I didn't really jump on it till like 13 14 mm-hmm. so you know you would see me slap a player or cuss a ref out or get into an altercation <laughs> and oh that's you know he's he's this he's a thug and then you would see reality tv because unfortunately we jumped in reality tv I think in 2010 11 ish and that's a whole story in the self shack convinced mm-hmm. me to let my ex-wife do it and oh it's going to be them stepping out of our shadow and raising our kids and doing charitable that shit mm-hmm. was a mess that was I also got divorced out of a reality show as yeah. well so we can relate yeah. on that one but yeah that's what my ex said too we should have never done the yeah, reality show yeah I could have told you VH1 yeah. for sure if yeah. you're going to do one there's other networks yeah, well, I, didn't, I didn't blame it it just didn't help you know what I mean yeah. I was, I was you know I was yeah. you know my with my ex-wife and, and you know we have Two amazing fortunate old twins now but I was like fresh off of stardom so that that ba- that warrior team is kind of when I, I my first four years I was bouncing around am I mm-hmm. I'm moving teams am I gonna make it am I not gonna make it I, I found a home with that warrior team because that's kind of when I first got on the map and that's when I met my first wife was that you know actually I met her when I was 18 and she was 12 because my friend was dating her sister but we reconnected when I was 26 and she was 20 you know what I mean? And then shortly after that, you know, we're, we're, we're together and, 
you know, we're pregnant and now we're going to Phoenix and now there's an opportunity to be on reality TV. And I'm thinking like, yo, we've been together for a year. We have two newborn babies and now we're going to jump on reality TV. Yeah. I was so against you get it. Swept yeah. up. I mean, the thing is, it's like it just shines a spotlight on whatever issues you already have. They're going to yeah. come to the surface. Yeah. But like, I mean, when there's cameras around and they yeah. need you to deal with the problems in the moment because they yeah. need some kind of conclusion to yeah. conflict. Yeah. Like, it's like, no, 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 we were going to shove this under the rug for at least yeah. another five years. <laughs> so yeah. do you think that contributed to any issues that you had or your, your no. divorce? Uh, no, it, I just think because I, I think we were on the same page from a standpoint as we're, we're going to give them what we want and not what they want. And, and, and that was when I quickly learned that, you know, all the scenarios are pretty much baked in-house like a lot of the the women when we went on basketball wives like my wife at the time didn't know any of these girls mm -hmm. you know what i mean but somehow how is their drama if you don't know nobody you yeah know I mean? so, we can make some right so they <laughs> make, make it. it but it's crazy because the fans don't necessarily know that side they may know it now because reality tv is so common but like the fans were like would swear by what was going on i'm like yo these girls don't even fucking know each other like yeah. this is all made up but you know lesson learned i would definitely wouldn't say that was the reason why it, it didn't help Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the reason why I would just say more of me kind of growing and, and, and kind of understanding what manhood is and, 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 and stardom and fame and money and women. That was a lot. You think and you know I, women? Is that what I'm hearing? A <laughs> little bit. We got more surprises for yeah. you, buddy. A, a, a little learning. bit. Yeah, a little bit. No, but this is back in my 20s. You know, I mean, this yeah. is back in my 20s. So yeah. it's just like kind of just, you know, kind of getting that that stardom and fame and I think that was obviously what contributed to my divorce. You know, just the reality TV along the way was it didn't help. Yeah. What yeah. are some mistakes that you made in your 20s that you've learned and carried on over now? Well, and on that, but what I wanted to say is that, like, are you still slapping people around and like beating no, up I haven't, refs and stuff? I haven't. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. Hopefully that is all behind me. And my, like, my, my, no judgment. I'm just like, you know, we all have our way of dealing with things. And, and like <laughs> mine might be to like throw a fit, like give the silent treatment or something like have you have you gone to therapy? Yes. OK, all right. Tell us about yeah, that. Therapy. No, therapy was very instrumental, especially in, 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 you know, in the black community. We don't speak in males in particular. Mm -hmm. We don't speak about our childhood or we don't speak about all the stuff that made us who we are. We're oh, yeah, just like once, once we get to the finished product, everyone, like you said, they just judge based off that. So to be able to go into therapy, and I just started there, but I tried to do marriage counseling at the end of my my divorce, but that didn't work. But I got into individual counseling, I'd say maybe two and a half, three years ago, and it was great. Yeah. To just really, especially being someone in my position where I can I can't share everything with everybody yeah. because there's some stuff that if it got out, it'd be like, oh, shit. But, you know, to be able to confide into someone. And, and I really thank my fiance now because and I say this with all due respect, I just felt like talking to like an older white man, although he can give me tools, he could never understand what mm -hmm. it's like to be me ever. Mm -hmm. So my fiance found me a, a biracial black and I think Mexican guy that is a therapist. Great. Tim and we just hit it off from the beginning just based off kind of our upbringing and someone that looks similar to me and I really mm -hmm. felt comfortable enough to kind of open up and share with them and really get down to you know this happening from ages five to eight is possibly why this is mm -hmm. happening and you know what I mean so for him to kind of dissect and give me tools to be able to manage different things in my life at 43 although a little late better late than never yeah you know oh, what yeah I mean? what, for what, sure what are your thoughts with with men, they say any issues they might have all stems back to their childhood and their relationship with their mother or their woman in their life. I wouldn't say they stem from, because my relationship with my mom was great. I lost my mom in 2007 to cancer, but we were best friends, mm -hmm. like best friends. She was the mom and my, although my dad was there, my dad was provider. So mm -hmm. my dad was a butcher by day, a drug dealer by night and a badass. So I learned how to fight in my passion for football, all that kind of stuff came from my dad. But, you know, learning to love and accept love is something I still kind of work through in therapy. But kind of the softer side of me and the and the more reasonable side of me came from my mom. So I would say she gave me everything she possibly could. But as a little boy, I'm looking up to my dad because my dad is whipping people's asses. And my mm -hmm. dad's a badass. You know, my, my little brother used to think when my dad would go out on his drug runs that my dad was a ninja because he would dress in all black. Yeah. My, my little brother's four years old, younger than oh. me at the time. So he used to... Dad's going to fight crime. Dad's a ninja. Like, okay, bro. So um, that's kind of just, that was, I was drawn to the violence and the masculinity of my dad, but the soft side, the reasonable side, all that kind of stuff I learned from my mom. So, you know, obviously understanding counseling and having counseling and breaking all that stuff down 
in my 40s has really just kind of given me a new perspective. And, and, and it's, it didn't make me perfect. It just made me more, just, I think, self-aware and, and gave me more tools to handle situations that, that, that come to me. And, and, and like you said, am, am I still slapping people? Hopefully not. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, not going to lie, I would pay to see that. I, 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 I've, I've been given tools to, to, to manage different situations now, which, which is great. But yeah, I would, it, it's something that, you know, I, I credit guys like Kevin Love and Paul George and DeMar DeRozan, who are superstar NBA players, but say, hey, although I still have all this money and everything you can ever want, I need help. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hurting right now. I'm lost. And mm-hmm. because before athletes really spoke up on mental health or mental illness or mental health, it wasn't a topic of conversation. I would probably say in the last eight years, maybe it's more, and, and now it's a very common conversation, mental health, and are you getting help and all that kind of stuff. But before, it was never a conversation at all. Yeah, it's that oh, whole yeah. mask of masculinity. You, yeah. you, have to be, you have to be a hard shell, especially mm-hmm. in the locker room. Yeah. Okay, guys, one of the biggest questions I get is what multivitamin do I take? And also what prenatal did I take when I was pregnant with Nala? So I'm here to tell you that I've tested it myself and I love it and I'm still using it. I use Rituals Essential for Women. So I started taking this when I was pregnant with Nala. I, just like you, needed to find something that meant what it said when it was healthy during pregnancy and something that was healthy for me that I could take after pregnancy. So what I loved about Ritual is that it's, of course, it's gluten, major allergen-free and vegan, but it also gives all of the omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development during pregnancy. But for me personally, I loved it most because it had a minty citrus essence in every bottle. It felt really fresh and it was slow release. So I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel nauseous, nothing like that. All the delayed release capsules are designed specifically to dissolve later in the small intestines. And this is an ideal place to absorb nutrients. So made me feel amazing. I loved it so much. I kept taking it after pregnancy. This is something I'm going to keep taking. And so I wanted to share it all with you. Instead of striving for perfect health, aim for supporting foundational health. Great news. Ritual is offering our listeners 30% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash barely filtered to start ritual or add essential for women 18 plus or prenatal to your subscription today. Ritual.com slash barely filtered to start ritual or add essential for women 18 plus or prenatal to your subscription today. Enjoy. Oh my God, you guys, I have been running on fumes. I spent a month at my parents' house. So that alone will really, really get you. But then I had to do a cross country flight with both my kids alone. Um, I just am trying to prioritize my health right now. So instead of you know, maybe that glass of wine at night, I've been turning to my squeeze juice. And one of the ones that I love is immunity because it has ginger, turmeric and habanero pepper. Um, so it gives you that little bit of kick that, you know, just hurts so good, but it's so good for you. Um, it's all natural. It's not from concentrate and they don't add any extra water. So you're getting only the, the best ingredients. And I do have a code for you guys. It is barely and that's for 20% off, first-time customers only. And you can find that at shop.squeezejuice.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Now athletes have this platform, social media, and there's this pressure almost to speak out on things as well. But I would bring it back to your time with the Clippers and Mm -hmm. the Sterling incident. And I want to know what's going through your brain. Like that's your essentially the guy that writes the checks, Mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, you're not there for him. You're there to win some games and to put food on the table, right? So walk me through the feelings of that and the pressure to yeah. speak out on something. So well, I think severe. you hit it on the head and, and, and I'll get into the story, but we were never there for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a history. You look at Sterling, you know, discrimination, real estate stuff. He's always kind of been a, how's this guy still an owner type mm-hmm. situation. But I think it obviously came to a head and I don't know if it was 14 or 15, but when I was with the Clippers and we were playing the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs, you know, his mistress at the time recorded him and, 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 and leaked some audio, which FX ended up making a story about. So that was the Sterling Affairs. I think it'll come out Later this year or next year. Is this another documentary? It's a no, it's a it's a mini series about oh. that Clipper team and, oh, and oh, Donald wow. Sterling. Oh wow. So it was dope. Yeah. So when it first hit, to be honest with you, because of what I shared with you guys already, like the the level of racism, him black players or mm-hmm. black this or that didn't really bother me because I'd been hit with real racism. Yeah. You know, with kids to my face saying it and 
like I said, my high school nearly being burned down by the KKK. So to me, there's levels. When I heard it, I just thought like, oh, this is not going to be good. He's mm-hmm. going to get in trouble for this. Like never did I think that it would blow it to the media storm it became. And You weren't really, surprised, it sounds like. No. It didn't, it didn't surprise you in the least. It, it, it didn't surprise me and it didn't really bother me, to be honest with you, because, I mean, we kind of already know who he was. He finally mm-hmm. just got, got slipping. And if you really think about it, I mean, this age of owner who was kind of dying out with all due respect, that's what they grew up with. You know, all these sure. oil guys and football owners and basketball owners that came from money, that's the, the the generation, the era they grew up in. So I never really put too much weight into, you know, what that clown was saying. But I was just like, you know, this is not going to go over well. But when it hit, you know, to me, when LeBron James spoke up on it, you know, there's no place in our game for this and this, this and that. And, we, and, and athletes started using social media to kind of speak on things other than, I guess our day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. it kind of opened up a door for athletes in general just to speak. And then, you know, we fast forward to, you know, right before the pandemic, you know, was this, this whole social mm-hmm. justice movement. And I'm a huge proponent for someone to speak on social issues if you feel comfortable because everyone doesn't, you know, don't, if you're a star or you have millions of followers, you may not feel comfortable. And, and, and I respect that. But I feel like if you are armed with the information and you do have a platform and you do feel comfortable speaking, when we speak, it holds a lot of weight. Yeah. Like when athletes speak, it holds a lot of weight, and we can really start movements with our words and, and, and knowledge on situations. So I love it. You know, some peers are like, you know, you keep politics out of sports, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like all this stuff, this police brutality, these killings, like these are our family members, our friends, you know, our, 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 you know, our, our people. So obviously, naturally, we're going to have some uh, feeling about what's going on. So I love that, you know, we've been able to kind of transition into a space where athletes are are, are are able to speak on whatever's on their mind. Yeah, I know. What do you feel like <clears throat> the pressure of an athlete? I mean, you're fed this information that you presume is true. And we've learned in the last couple of years, the media has just oh, really man. gone evil. Mm-hmm. And you just never know what the truth is. Right. And then you almost maybe feel like a fool. For example, the Black Lives Matter. Everyone mm-hmm. had that in their bio and everything. Mm-hmm. And we found out like, oh, y'all be living yeah. nice in Florida. Yeah. That was my whole thing, too, is I, I the phrase Black Lives Matter, I agree with. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with the organization, mm-hmm. you know, and it's in they're not the only organization that, that did shady shit but mm-hmm. they're about the ones, every religion ever right yes they're, like, I like the right. principles don't, don't, yeah. you feel like every, don't you feel used yeah almost? oh absolutely yeah. just just deceived because you know obviously the movement was started with it with a great purpose and it, and it got off to a good start but then when you find that you know the people are doing other stuff with the money that that shouldn't be going you feel like damn yeah like, we don't black people we don't have this many opportunities we yeah. started something special and now you guys want to fuck it up so definitely felt bothered by it but again you know, not bothered enough to let it to, to, to kill my vibe or my mood. Just have a, kind of having an understanding of when people show you who, who they are, believe them. Yeah, I love that, Maya so, Angelou. And then also, yeah. I just like we were talking about this earlier. It's like woke used to be something cool to be. And now when you hear the word woke, it's like it's like now it's become a joke. Yeah, yeah. Woke used to be used to be like, I'm awake. I'm aware. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, God, like. Yeah. Well, I think when 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 there isn't definitions put on things like defund the police, when mm-hmm. there isn't a clear cut definition. Now it, it, it's crazy because politics has almost become racial. It has very racial. So if there's not a definition put on a controversial saying or a, a woke or, or defund the police, there's going to be one side that's going to try to twist it. You mm-hmm. know, I think to me, woke is just having the understanding of what is really going on and what has happened. Mm-hmm. I think everyone tries to hide what's happened in the past. And although it's not the past, we want to live in the present and move forward. We still have to fix the rights. I mean, excuse me, the wrongs of the past. And I just think that, again, one, well, you know, one side, one side of the, the the country wants to weaponize words and 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 put their spin on them and and, and make people believe that, which is fine. But it's just a, it, it's an interesting time, and, and athletes have to be careful because once we say it, it's out there. Yeah. It's out there people for sure. Screenshot that in twenty seconds. Oh man, yeah. di- you know, dissect and, it, break it down. Yeah, and I also think just coming from like we have a bit of a platform too, and and I think it is our responsibility to be like, listen, when I I don't not a sports fan, so like when I heard you're coming on. And I'm like, I got, I saw a picture of you. Mm-hmm. You're tatted. I'm like, this is a black guy. I'm gonna listen to him on this podcast. I was like, oh, he sounds like a nerd. He sounds like a white guy. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like I thought you were gonna sound like a thug. Mm-hmm. But this is me growing up as a white. Right. For, like I have a level of ignorance that I need to be conscious of mm-hmm. because, like, I can, like, that's something I'm projecting all the time. Do I need to feel shame about that? No, but you need to be aware of it so you can correct and it. Understand. And, and, and that's we're naturally, you know, to to to, to and it's not that's not even saying you hate anyone. It's just we naturally the stereotypes of certain people are ingrained in our mind mm-hmm. from everything we've heard. You know what I mean? So like you said, it doesn't make you a bad person, 
but to be aware of it and try to better yourself from it, it, it to me is the key. So again, like it's my misconception of who I've been. Like I said, I've the uh, gangbanger, this, this, that. Like I've literally never been none of those. I just grew up fighting. <laughs> yeah. I like tattoos. Yeah. And that's kind of where we I'm do at. Too. You know? I, I will say, like, because I, I grew up watching you and it was so fun to watch you. But I, I had these presumptions mm-hmm. as well, of course, as mm-hmm. just a, a fan. And I listened to your podcast and you're, you have a great quality. One, you're very well spoken. You're very articulate. You're very zen. I was not. Are expect- you high though? He smokes a lot of weed, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. Because I am a for. I love my my weed. I always have mm-hmm. been. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just because I'm grown in Cali. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of benefits. I mm-hmm. every night, you know. Yeah. I mean, every night, every Especially night. With kids. Oh, oh yeah, you, you got, got to. to. I don't think you, you got you have to. to know. Weed affects people you need, so differently. You need yes. to smoke weed. I have smoked weed. 5,000 times in my life and every time I'm like, fuck, why did I do this? I hate but it. Also, it works for you. It's how, it, 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 it's how you smoke it. it mm-hmm. It's how much you smoke. It's mm-hmm. when you smoke. There's yeah, just I think a lot I have of... trauma from that initial bong hit that I took. Yeah, in see, my that's I too no, much. I can yeah, no yeah. longer do that. That'll yeah. put me on my ass. But see, like yeah. if, to me, if like it, it, it's all about learning what is for you. Because like you said, everything hits everyone different. Mm-hmm. Alcohol hits everything. Hits mm-hmm. everyone different. So to me, like if you're fresh in the game, I would never say take a bong. I would take no. take like take a hit one one hit of the joint, two hit. Because I'm teaching. My girl at 44 now, like it was a square, like never drank, never nothing. And I'm not a heavy drinker at all, but I'll socially drink. But she knows I smoke. So she kind of wanted to connect with me on that level. And she, like, I do take bong grips, but I also smoke. <laughs> so I, 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 she would see me clear a whole bong. I'm like, no, baby, you just tap it. Like, you don't have to clear the yeah. whole thing. Just tap it yeah. <laughs> or take a hit or two. But sometimes she tries to get gully. And, and <laughs> one quick story, we we're going to New York. I had to go work in New York and she came with me. And we were taking a red eye flight. And I like before we left, I took a huge bong grip. She's like, oh, I want to hit it. I was like, all right, so I'm going to, I'll load you another bowl. I'm going to take most of it. I'll let you take the end. She's like, no, I want to do what you did. I'm like, nah. Like, <laughs> Is she your size? Right before no. the airport, too? Oh, so oh she, my gosh. So she took maybe stuff and started coughing and everything. But when I tell you, she was giggly. Like, it hit it right when we got to TSA. So everything oh in TSA. It's always, was, it's always security. Everything in TSA like, was, was funny. Like, she said everything was coming to her slow motion. It was just a funny. And then as soon as we sat down, like, she was knocked out the entire flight. But oh, that's good. To me, it's just understanding what how you are and and, yeah. and what works for you because yeah, I feel my like, mom gave me a, a gummy and she was like this is for sleep the camino ones with a little tin yeah i was so paranoid all night. like i don't know this is my, my that's thing. that's good she got giggly because yeah. i would get anxiety i'll take a gummy before i'll like right when i get to the airport so after i'm like okay i'm at my gate i'm yeah, chill I'm good. now i can chill yeah. but if i'm in tsa like they're gonna find a joint they're gonna find my pen yeah, they're gonna I'm find stuff i don't I'll even know if i have anything <laughs> even if i don't have anything i think they're gonna find something oh my god but i was gonna ask you okay so sativa Fever or indica? Man, I'm more because I don't. First of all, I don't smoke nearly as much as I used to because when I first I started smoking at 14, so mm-hmm. all through UCLA, all through my pro career, I smoked and there was only indica back then. You mm-hmm. know, these varieties of weed. It became an art. I'd probably say maybe in like 13, 14. And one of my homegirls got me on sativa, and I love sativa because I'm I do so much things during the day, and I'm active with my kids. Like the indica now will sit you down, yeah, and put you zombie. to sleep possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the indica, you know, allows me to keep going. Or excuse me, the sativa allows me to keep going and, and being a, a a functional citizen uh, during the day. So so again, time and place. During the day, I'll smoke a sativa. During night, if I don't have shit to do, I'll smoke indica. Yeah, I like a good hybrid. How I describe when I go into the shop, I like to the club, and I will say I want to turn my brain off. I don't want to fall asleep. I just mm-hmm. want to like, you know, especially as a parent, like mm-hmm. we were saying, that's why I continue to do it. I've been smoking since I was 14, too. Mm-hmm. I can no longer do a bong load like I used to. Yeah. I just sit on the couch like pen yeah, like it's right. nothing. Oh, yeah. All right, college right. for sure. But now I would I couldn't do it. I just have my my preferences, either a joint or a mm-hmm. pen. But at the end of the night, when those kids are down, I'm like, oh, it's time for me to that's relax. Like and it's like when you're an entrepreneur or you have shit going on and you're a father, you got a, so much going on yeah. in your brain. You got to turn it off. For, to me, for off? T, sometimes it turns off. But then I also find, to be honest with you, sometimes when I smoke, it'll get me more creative at the end mm-hmm. of the night. So I'll get my my task list of what's next. Or if I'm working on a project, I'll script out a project. So I love, like, I'm, when you see me on ESPN, when you saw me in the NBA, when you see me walking in the grocery store, like, I'm high. He's like, that, that wasn't me. That yeah. was. No, that, but, <laughs> that was no but that's, that's really me. Yeah. It's like, really, like, I was someone who smoked before games. I'm someone, if I'm on ESPN at noon, I'm smoking You're good. at 11 o'clock. Like, I'm just, I'm someone who can, can handle it. And I feel like I'm more creative, more socially outgoing, mm-hmm. just kind of more of the better side of me. 
when I, like my girl says me don't smoke, I get crabby. Huh. Are you, are yeah. you high right now? Yeah. yeah. Not super high, but yeah. I smoked this You guys, morning. he was 15 minutes late and got lost in the that parking garage. So that wasn't my fault. We are not condoning any of this medicinal <laughs> marijuana usage. Well, I, I find, because I agree, I can get creative, but I also have, because sometimes I'll even lean towards the side of a little bit of anxiety where because I have so many thoughts, yes. so I have How to like, turn, I have to shut off yeah. and I try to move my brain into a, an epiphany. Like, what can I take away from this? Like, mm-hmm. I've really been having these epiphanies lately about like really wanting to ground myself with my family and my kids Mm. so what are some realizations that you've had as a man whether it's with sports or transitioning and all these things that you do as an entrepreneur what are some epiphanies or life realizations you've had in this this season of life I just think just I like that just this season life just being I think better learning you know what I mean I'm a coach I'm a media you know I'm a producer I'm a cannabis smoker there's just I, I wear so many hats and I just think to always try to evolve, be better. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I feel like, you know, I have the fortune enough to coach my twin 14-year-old boys. And I learned so much about just the way this next generation is moving from my kids. You know what I mean? Like the music, the way to deal with them, the way to talk to them. So just, I wouldn't want just, now I'm, I'm always trying to learn from people and, and, and put myself around people that I can learn from and, and, mm-hmm. and people that I can, you know, up stuff from iron sharpens iron That's yeah sure. definitely definitely and then you know to i found to to shut off because i think that was your previous question is just being able to put my phone down yeah, I think that's, that's what hard. keeps us going is, you know, and to me, I like to smoke and watch my shows. Like right now, my girl's got me on Sons of Anarchy. I never watched it originally. That is the best show of so all time. I'm, I'm I will go on record it, for yeah. that. It's my favorite show of day all time. Half, I've got, Sons of Anarchy uh, yeah, is so good. Day and a half, I've watched the whole first season. You know what I mean? But I still have to catch myself because I'll get a text and uh, then I'll just go and look in Instagram or mm-hmm. check my emails. Or like, So I just think for me to shut down is just to be off my phone and just kind of be in whatever moment I am, whether I'm watching TV, whether I'm smoking, whether I'm just hanging out with the kids, just being in the moment and and, and shutting down to me is just not allowing my phone to be in my hand and, and mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, that's so good. And it's so hard. It's like, hard. I feel like I'm like playing with kids is like the most chaotic and boring thing. It's like, how is this like so boring and just like such a shit show yeah. at the same time? But it's like, all they need is five minutes. Yeah. yeah. If you sit with them and you give them your undivided uh, attention for five shit, minutes. I got a four-year-old that wants to do everything as soon as he's, dad, let's play <laughs> yeah. basketball. Dad, let's go swimming. No, dad, let's play video games. I'm like, oh. Is that, is that a boy? Yeah, a yeah, boy. They, yeah. They don't yeah. stop. They don't. But try taking the gummy next time because you will be in their world. You're like, that's a fucking sick Lego. I made a submarine. Hey. Like last night, I haven't made a submarine out that's of Le- like Lego. That's Where serious. you going to see the Titanic? Oh. Oh, no, we were watching a movie, and I was like, let's do a challenge, guys. And we all made something out of Legos. And I'm like, I haven't done that since I was a kid. Oh, I, can get I cried, I can, honestly, I can with, with, some, with some Legos. But I like to I like to read the directions, and I don't and I don't <laughs> let my kids touch it either. <laughs> like, uh, you get it. Like, I'm yeah. going to do it. I did it. It's funny you said that because you kind of submerged yourself. So we, I took the family camping last year, and all my family came down, and I took some mushrooms during the day. And when I tell you when those things kicked in, I was out there playing wiffle ball, football, oh flying kites. Like I, I was, I was like a, too. I was like a twelve year old again. Like even at forty three, I was like a twelve year old, like yeah. running around, diving for balls and shit. I'm like, what the fuck well, am I doing? I, I, think, <laughs> I think mushrooms are the next thing. So oh, yeah. you're high right now. Jeez, I right. microdose. Do you right want to know something? So micro- the next thing. I accidentally took a little too much of the microdose, and I'm on my mm. way to Barry's boot camp. This is like a treadmill workout situation, <gasps> and I'm like took too much of those mushrooms. Like, I didn't think it was going to... I took three. They said say to take... Or took four. They say to take one. Jeez. So I get on the treadmill. And you want to know what happened? You heard everything. No, no, I was running and running and running. But, like, the adrenaline that normally kicks in, like, your cortisol that spikes when you are working out, like, something that's, like, high intensity, there wasn't any of that. <laughs> so, see. like, my legs were going, and I was going super fast. But, like, I didn't feel, like... I feel the, the opposite. Because I've gone to the gym okay. when microdose before, and I felt the opposite. Because I... First of all, I could hear every weight clack. I was like... <laughs> Like I was like, oh like keep it down. And then I text my husband. I go, I feel like I'm naked and everyone can see my vagina right now. He goes, I promise you, you're not naked. And then the, like phase three hit and I was like, I can work out forever. Super. Super I thought like, the, the weight kept going up. I don't yeah. even think I could not yeah, walk Stay in school, day. kids. Don't yeah. do drugs. Yeah. No, but I mean, I, I think in, in moderation and it's interesting because you have to have these, like I have teenage boys. Like mm-hmm. I'm not sure how old your guys' kids are, but so I started kind of introducing cannabis to the twins. I want to say at nine when not necessarily so they saw me when i put them to bed and they saw me down by the pool smoking and the next day they had just learned in class dad if you smoke cigarettes your lungs are going to do this and i'm like they came down the next morning like dad were you smoking cigarettes like what are you talking about like we saw you by the smoke the pool last night smoking cigarettes 
like, oh shit, moment of truth. Yeah. So I'm just like, do I lie to him and say I was smoking cigarettes or I tell him what I was really doing? I'm like, I'm gonna tell him what I was doing. So I was like, yeah. nah, daddy was smoking a joint. Like, what's a joint? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, you know how my daddy's knees and back hurt from playing and I don't drink alcohol and, and painkillers make my stomach hurt when I smoke a joint. It helps me focus, it helps me sleep and it takes the pain away. And they're like, oh, okay. But then one of the twins were like, well, dad, you know, I just sprained my ankle. Can I smoke? I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. oh, shit. You know what I mean? So to me, I introduced it, even if it was a little early from that standpoint, because now, now we're 14, we're freshmen in high school mm -hmm. now. So now we're going into these situations and I'm not sure what they're going to do. So I just want to be able to prepare them the best right. I can. Even if I would have introduced it a little early, I'd introduce it almost in a fun way. And now even with girls, like they're to the point now where they're literally telling me everything I'm like, yo, Okay. Yeah. yeah you know, like but they, but, you but they have, have but yeah, but I would rather have that totally. because I know in, you know, I know they won't tell their mom this stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I love that I've opened that path and that door to because we've been talking about it in a funny way for the last five years. Now that shit is getting real, you feel comfortable enough to tell me like, yeah, that yeah it's not taboo. Yeah, You're kind right. of desensitizing yeah. it. Right. It's not going to be this like, you yeah. know, crazy thing. They, they're not going to be me who takes the giant bong hit because they have no <laughs> idea how much. It's, <laughs> it's like, the sheltered kids, too, that you hear going, going to rehab, going crazy, crazy, like getting alcohol poisoning. Like same, my, my parents, they were like, yeah. they were yeah. kind of like, if you're going to drink, like drink in the house or if you're going to a party, I'll drop you off. I'll pick you yeah. up. Or yeah. my parents used to let us drink in the house. That's and what we, my parents you know, did. Keys, the keys are here. Yeah. Like, you can't leave. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just that whole understanding. Because like you said, once we send our kids out in the world, we just have to pray that we prepare yeah. them enough to make the right totally. decisions. So and I know that they can call us, but I want you to ask them the last question about the UFC. Oh, I will. But I wanted to ask, based on your upbringing, rough childhood you could have gone either way mm -hmm. right because that's how I feel I'm like yep. I could have ended up yep. doing drugs early pregnancy or whatever mm -hmm. it could have been I could have ended mm -hmm. up this way but I went I feel like I kind of took a hard opposite right and I'm a lot of how I am today is because of the shit I went yeah, through absolutely so how did this upbringing shape you as a father today I think it gave me just a, a, a full scope a full understanding because like I said I went to school with I was my high school was 98% white kids yeah and some of my best friends are white but like you said the sheltered ones are the ones you have to watch the ones that had the strict curfew and liquor cabinet locked up and all this kind of shit are the ones that were into coke and pills mm -hmm. and oxys and doing all kinds of wild shit but I saw that at a young age so I was just like okay I, I see how that's making them act and feel and I don't want none of that weed was my thing so I just think as seeing everything that I saw and kind of having freedoms to make decisions based off what I knew as a child kind of helped me now as a father and you know on the flip side like I'm not someone that that tells the twins no you can't have sex until you're 16 I'm the dad that's gonna say like when it's time let me know and I'll get you condoms mm -hmm. and I'll show you how to put a condom on mm -hmm. like I said I try to be proactive instead of reactive because mm -hmm. I just think kids today we don't know what they're looking at on their phone with their friends there's just so much shit to fill their mind with I want to be the ones that 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 that, that kind of give them the advice of the game you know what I mean I just recently you know they'll be 15 soon but I let them have a corner of a shot mm. and just okay like you know we're at a big family function you know, you, you know, you can't have a big shot, but I'm gonna let you test this corner just to kind of like, I want you to have an understanding of what stuff does to you before you really jump in the fire and you're yeah. out by yourself at a party and you think you could take three or four shots and hop in a car mm -hmm. or you think you could smoke a bunch of weed and, and do whatever. So I just think it, everything I've gone through is just opened up my eyes. And, and it, it, even as adults, we have to kind of transition to what this generation is like, because it's not the same shit that we came mm -hmm. up in. And to mm -hmm. think that our method of how we navigated our childhood and our teenage years is the method they're going to use. It's not. There's still some some similarities and common principles, but we have to adjust that to the, what this new generation is about. You know, so again, it goes back to me always learning, trying to evolve, but just really being open-minded and, and, and understanding and having, I think the key is having a great line of communication with your kids because I just see so many people try to hide and sneak and sneak out and do all this shit. And that's when you end up in trouble. If, if I, if, you know, if my kids, this summer, they're going into high school. Dad, we're going to a party. There's going to be drinking. I'd they much rather you. they they would tell. I would much rather them tell yeah. me than me have to kind of find out later. But I feel like my boys would tell me that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. So I'm just thankful that I have that line of communication and I'm open to it. You know what I mean. And we would have to, you know, when when, when bigger things come along, like when I when they feel like they want to smoke, I tell them I'm going to be the first one to smoke with them. Hell yeah. You know what I mean. Not so I just want like that. Me. Right. I just <laughs> yeah. I, I want to prepare them, you know, as well as we can as parents for so when they face that real world, their real real life shit that they're ready. Have yeah, you always been it. this zen? 
I've always no, smoked, was, so I think so. No, he was slapping referees, right? <laughs> no, I mean, well, I still, I mean, that, that's that's the side, I mean, that's in me, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. came, like you said, we could have went either way. Like, I could have went, I, you know, had friends shot, killed, and, yep. and died from overdose, and, and, and locked in prison. My tattoo artist was in prison for life. He's in a bike gang. Like, I've, oh I've, I've been next to these people that have, you know, one step that way. I mm-hmm. could have never been who I am. So, obviously, that is in me, but I just think, obviously, with age and counseling and wisdom and, and, and just kids, you have to mature fast and have enough yeah. so I've always kind of been this chill person but just on the court I'm a super competitor mm. and I always have that fight in me so I'm always like I hate to admit yeah. it but I'm always ready to fight which is not a good thing at 40 well, something but I got it's a just question because I wanted to know if you if Dana White's here he's like you're gonna go in the ring with anyone Ooh. who would you go who do you want to punch real bad <laughs> mm-hmm. I really t- who Man, came to, to mind first? To be honest, like no one comes to mind. <coughs> I think a lot of people would probably think, you know, my former teammate who's married to my mm-hmm. wife now. That's what we were hoping yeah. you would say. <laughs> we've, already, I, 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 we've already been through that, though. You know yeah. what I mean? We, 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 you we already are, punched him. Yeah. <laughs> we already got down and boogied like that. You know what I mean? Did you and, get it out of your system? Yeah. He's like, do you fight him again? Is he still kind of a face you want to punch? No, 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 not at all. Okay. I, I, think, I mean, I just saw him last night at our boys game. Like, I... So, like I'm so to the point where so that situation happened and the world find out about it we got into our little altercation of course I won um, <laughs> but literally dude, by the way yeah. little altercation yeah <laughs> but literally so that was the beginning of the season that at the end of that season in the summer because I was still playing he wasn't he's with my kids and with my ex-wife oh, now and, so, and so we had that conversation and I just was I was real with them just like bro I'm gonna keep it real with you like I saw him at a game and it was it, I kind of felt fucked up because like the kids had just won a championship in flag football so all the parents even my ex-wife like we're kind of up in this circle with the kids and he's way back here I'm like I don't want you to feel like that bro you know what I mean so I stopped and I think my ex-wife froze for a second I'm like D come here and I pulled him to the side and like, we just quickly had a conversation I was just like you know obviously I didn't like the fact that you you know, you're with my ex-wife without telling me, but that wasn't really what bothered me. What bothered me is was you're around my kids and you didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just oh, kind of explained, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it, but I would have respected it if you would have came to yeah. me as a man. And then he kind of gave me his side of his point of view. And we shook hands right there. And we've wow. been fine because they're married now and been together. Like I see him all the time. You have to, right? We're yeah. completely fine. And, and I was so real with them. I'm just like, you know, I'm still playing. So you're going to see my kids at this point more than I am. So I need you to be that discipline. Yeah. I need you to be that father figure. I need yeah. you to teach them ropes. Like I wasn't, to me, it wasn't like, fuck you. And yeah. like, no, because I divorced my wife. Our our time and, you know, our, our ships had sailed. Mm-hmm. So now it's all about the kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what's best? We we got these two boys now. And, I, and he had, tw- he has twins too. Oh, wow. But particularly with my kids, I'm like, we have these boys that it's our job to, we're the men in their life. Mm-hmm. We have to raise them. And with me playing, I don't get to see my kids that much during the season because they're going to be with her. So I need you to be that father figure and this, this, and that, and, you know, treat them like your own, discipline them, like, you know, wow. be the man to them. And, and, and that was really, I think, don't that smoke kind weed of, with them before I do. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be the first to do that. Yeah. But I think that kind of, kind of allowed him to exhale to kind of see where I'm at. Like, sure. bro, I'm not on, like, I just be good to my kids. Yeah. Which no, you that's and, so which, which you and my ex have to do. Too, like that, that's a, also, that's just men. You're able to be like. And it's good, and it's done, and it ends right there. Women, it we has can't to be. Do that, oh yeah, but. it drags on. But like I said, it, it, it's because it's not to me. It's bigger than my ex, mm-hmm. me and my ex, and it's bigger than he and I. It's about okay. Now we got these. He's been in their lives since they were seven years old. Wow. You know what I mean? So he's been in their lives for half their lives. So us together as men, like we're the men figures in their lives, and and, and we have to do a good job of trying to raise well-rounded young men. So that's kind of where, and everyone always wants to think like, you still hate him, do you want to fight him? Like, no, I like Derek, Mm -hmm. like we're cool. Like he's a great father to my sons and and my boys love him to death and and, and that's what gives my heart peace. That's all you want as a dad, right? That's it, that's it, it. I love that. So back to your question, is there anyone I want to fight? There's no one really that I would, you know, that, 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 that comes to mind that would be like, no, like, cause I just don't let shit, if, if in the moment I'm on it, and then once I do it, I'm off it. So it's you know not personal. I mean? it's, it's like, it's I'm going to fight you if you're in my way. It's business. Like, it's I'm just, not thinking it's, about it's you just, afterwards. And we, and we can shake hands after or we mm-hmm. can go our separate ways. But to me, I don't. I just feel like carrying around anger and hate is such a heavy burden. Mm-hmm. And there's so much shit we have to do from day to day that I just don't allow. I'll smoke and let it go. 
I yeah. love it. Love it. Oven I smoke or what's it. the what's All the, the smoke. All the smoke. All yeah. the smoke. Okay, so on that note, guys, I know we didn't get too much into your podcast, but just based on our listeners, which is primarily female, they wanted Dope. to hear your heart. And yeah. I think you did such an amazing yeah. job sharing it. Thank you. Well, and you have a, a, a new documentary that came out, right? Black, Black Mark. Mark. That just our buddy Nate took it to Tribeca oh, yeah. and it got great reviews. We just had lunch and he gave me a I, I was coaching my kids, so I couldn't go to New York at the time. But yeah, Black Mark was basically a, a situation I had in high school. As I told you, I was a senior. My sister was a sophomore this kid was racially harassing her calling her all kinds of names and happened to spit in her hair one day she comes to me crying with her girlfriends because I'm getting out of school at the time and I saw the kid and I did what a big brother's supposed to do yep. so fast forward I get suspended this is maybe two months before I'm going to UCLA I get suspended for the whole week excuse me and during that week the KKK comes and vandalizes my school burns down a building oh my god swastikas everywhere die nigger had a mannequin in the big oak tree in front with my football jersey on it, die nigger. Oh my God. All this kind of stuff. And and, and come to find out they had put a, 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 a green light on my head. So we had to change, we had to move. They were trying to like really kill me. Um, wow. So I say all that to say <laughs> that we, we, we did a short edit. My buddy, Nathan Elliott, one of my little buddies from Canada, we put this project together and you know, it was really, it was, it, it really took me back to that time and place and, and really kind of show me how far I've come from hate and 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 just the man at, at that time because I'm very proud to be Italian and black you know I think I feel like I got the best of both worlds but at 17 years old in 1997 I realized that's people look at me as a black man mm -hmm. not as a biracial mm -hmm. guy and that's kind of that's when people and then that takes us back to the real er, earlier thing you said I, I was never white enough and I was never black enough but at that point at 17 I was just like okay well they look at me as a black man because they, they wouldn't do this if I was white mm -hmm. so that's Black Mark. We just dropped that. Check that out. That'll be coming to a streaming platform soon. I'm doing a bunch of new stuff. I'm starting my All the Smoke production company, so we're doing a bunch of projects there. And no one knows this yet. Oh. We just inked a deal with WeTV to do a family show. So you're going to say you're wow. having another kid. No, That's so exciting. No. My girl's talking wow. about this shit. No way. Yeah, so we're doing a, a family show with WeTV. What's that like? Literally a we friendly just, family? Yeah, we're just getting started. Literally just getting started. We just did all the family. Oh, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, so yeah so I love it. I've teamed up with my brother, Jamie Foxx, who's 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 getting better and doing well. Good. His, his, so yeah, his company he's, is... He's doing yeah, good. Yeah, he's doing better. Good. His company is producing it, and it'll be out on WeTV. So we're going through it all again. But again, this time is, I think, a lot different because it's more family. We're not bringing in outside noise. Yeah, I'm so it. surprised you're going back to the reality. Yeah. Is this, I mean, is this, this is reality? Crazy. Is this... Like, what, what is it's it? It's reality. It's reality. It's reality. reality TV. Yeah. And now you're behind the camera. Now it's more kind of I have a say and a voice and an understanding. And to yeah. me, it's... It, it's your redemption. I, I went in there with just, you know, I'm going to open up my family again, which I really didn't want to do. But I want to wow. make it, you know, I want to capitalize on building brands for the kids and continue oh, to build yeah. my brand and my fiance's brand and really kind of brand us as... Because we all know now, unfortunately, divorces do happen. So blended families are the mm -hmm. norm now. Yeah. So, we, you know, we have six kids from our four-year-old together that I have with my fiance. Then we have a... Nine-year-old, ten-year-old, eleven-year-old girl from her previous marriage, and then I have my fourteen-year-old twin. So we you literally guys are have like the Black Brady bunch. Yep. The Black yep. Brady bunch. Yeah. Yep. So we literally have that kind of dynamic, but that's almost the norm now because everyone is, you know, unfortunately yeah. people don't stay together. So I think just giving people an inside look on a on a, on a real. Not it's not always going to be sweet, but it's going to be a real look at a family that is trying to navigate this shit. And you're there, you know, and you're life. trying, and you got love, and that's all that matters. When do you guys start right? filming? We start filming soon, like in the next month or so. Wow. Okay, yeah. we'll be tuning in. Yeah. I can't Definitely. wait. Thank you so thank much you. for being so here. You. Sorry I was late. It was not my fault. <laughs> no, no, you made <laughs> up thank for you. it. Cool. <laughs> thank, thank you, ladies. Thank you. Appreciate it. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.